Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. Hey, great to be here with you this morning and to celebrate that, of course, with all, but uh, we love the Word of God in this church. Let's go to Luke 19, verse 1. This will be a story I guarantee uh, 99.9% of you have heard this story. Uh, without a doubt, you'll know the name the moment we mention it. Luke 19, verse 1 says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. Told you you've heard the story. He was the chief tax collector in the region and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. How cool is that? Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his home in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I'll give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Verse 10, I love this verse. It says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. This morning I want to speak to you or whatever time zone you're in when you're a part of this service. I want to speak to you about the unexpected. This story is unusual on two counts. Firstly, it's unusual because Zacchaeus is a tax collector, which is not a big deal today. Uh, I've met people that work for the tax department and they're always lovely. They're always generous. They're always just erring on the side of mercy. Just seeing if you're still there. It's not a big deal today to work for the tax department. But in Jesus' day, tax collectors were universally hated and despised. They were hated because they extorted money from their own people. So they're in charge of collecting taxes from the Jews and they are overestimating tax payable, pocketing the difference. They are hated by their own people. They are despised as well because they colluded with the Romans, the occupying oppressors. In other words, they were seen to be traitors to their own nation. It's also though, an unusual story, not just because of who Zacchaeus is, but because in verse 5, we are told that Jesus looked up. Now you might go, well, that doesn't mean anything. I was a Boy Scout when I was just in primary school. 
I started with the Cubs and then I went on to Boy Scouts and I loved the Boy Scouts. I loved all the bushcraft and all the stuff we learned. Our scout cabin was literally a log cabin in the middle of the woods or the bush as we call it in Australia that had been made by pioneers with not one nail in the entire structure. And it was a beautiful thing and we learned all the kind of signs and that's why this morning morning when I walk the dog, I go looking out there and I can go, oh, a tiger snake has come through here since last night. How did I know that? Because I saw its trail. And then down there, I can see a bobtail went across there. Why? Because they're different tracks because I am like bushcraft man. Sometimes it's because right over there, I can see the tiger snake and go, yes, obviously you made that there. But anyway, I remember this from Boy Scouts that they taught us that if ever you want to hide, climb something. Because most people don't look up. Most people, check it out this week. Most people walking along a footpath do this. Most people get into a train or a bus and do this. Nowadays, they get into any of those modes of transport and do this. They go to a restaurant and do this. But anyway, enough of that. They don't look up. And so that makes what Jesus did really quite unexpected because Zacchaeus wasn't getting up there thinking Jesus is going to look. He gets up there just because he can't see over the crowd. But when Jesus gets under the tree, he looks up and says to Zacchaeus, come on down, I want to go to your house. And so the unexpected man, Zacchaeus, in the unexpected place, up a tree, gets an unexpected look from Jesus and an unexpected response. Nobody thinks Jesus is going to say, come down, I'm going to your house. If Jesus even said anything, it would be you vile son of iniquity. But Jesus doesn't. He says, come on down, I'm going to your house. And so the unexpected response and a very definitely unexpected result. This is the only time when Jesus ever says to someone, today salvation's come to your house. It's almost like He says, come on, I'm going to give you a little bit of a glimpse of who I am and what I'm going to accomplish on the cross. You get to have a bit of a preview of what's going to happen down the road because today salvation's come. Why? Because I've come. When Jesus comes to your life, salvation is the automatic result. That's what happens. That's why at the end of every service, when we invite people to say yes to Christ, we're not saying say yes to a doctrine. We're not saying say yes to a set of beliefs or philosophy. We're saying say yes to He who is salvation. John 14 verse 6, He said, I am the way. Buddha might have come and said, I've come to show you a way. But Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And so the unexpected look, the unexpected look of grace. John's Gospel chapter 8 is another story of an unexpected look. This time it's quite different. But again, it's a rampant sinner by everybody else's estimation. It's a woman who's been caught in the actual act of adultery, which just makes all the people that found her a bunch of peeping toms, in my humble opinion. But never mind. And as I've often said, I noticed they bought the woman. They obviously didn't bring the man. 
But that's another story. We'll let that one go for a minute. I want to take you to verse 3. It says that they set her in the midst. And I wonder if you've ever been the object of unwanted attention. Have you ever been somewhere and something, you just spilled tomato sauce down your shirt and you just knew you stood out for all the wrong reasons. Or you just had an operation or something done and you feel like the whole world is staring at you. And this woman, well, it's even more extreme than that because she knows that when they drag her out of that house or wherever she was and they take her to Jesus, the rabbi, she's pretty sure she knows what comes next. Stoning her to death. Everyone staring at her. But verse 6 says, instead of joining in with the crowd, instead of staring, looking at her, Jesus bends down, stoops down and looks at the ground. When all the accusers become silenced, he again stands up and gives a woman another look. What a powerful, incredible thing Jesus did. Many of you will know the story. He says, let anyone who is without sin cast the first stone. And little bit by little bit, they all, the Bible says, begin to melt away. They begin to leave. Now, I don't know and I'll find out when I get to heaven. Uh, but I guess I, I, if it was me and I was Jesus, I would have started writing the names of the crowd in the dirt with my finger. And beside it, I would have written their sins. But then I'm a bit more cheeky and maybe not as nice. I don't know what Jesus wrote, but it was enough in that silence for everybody to go, I can't be here. And their consciences convict them and they leave where they are. And then Jesus doesn't just let her go. I love the fact that Jesus then stands and looks at her, it says in verse 10. And the unexpected woman in the unexpected place gets an unexpected look and very definitely an unexpected response that leads to again a completely unexpected result when He says to her, go and sin no more. And then He says to them, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The unexpected look again for Zacchaeus was the look of grace. I know your past. I know what you've done. I know what everyone thinks about you. But I'm going to come to your house. Salvation is going to come to your life. To the woman caught in the very act of adultery, the look of grace that says, neither do I condemn you. And by the way, I am the light of the world. I think most of us would be aware if we've been around church a little bit. We understand that grace means I don't get what I deserve. That the grace of God, Ephesians 2 says, by grace you are saved through faith. And even that's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. 
not of works, lest anybody should boast. I come to Christ, grace draws me. And grace means whether I'm a Zacchaeus who has got a long-standing history of, of ruining other lives, of oppressing people, of doing things that he knew to be wrong, or whether I'm that woman caught in one act, no matter which one I am, grace means I don't get what I deserve. Grace means that God's goodness and God's love takes the place of God's judgment and God's disfavour. And I walk out of there instead with God's blessing on my life. Grace means I don't get what I deserve, but it's a lot more than that. And so that's what I want to speak to quickly this morning about what is grace and the look of grace. It's a lot more than I, I'm free now. Heaven's my home and not hell. Now I, I have the privilege of walking with God. Here's the second thing is that grace means my past loses its power to determine my future. Grace does not just address my yesterdays. Grace determines and addresses my tomorrows. It says to me that not only am I saved by grace, but now I get to live by grace. Some Christians use the term a state of grace, but the Bible doesn't use that term. The Bible doesn't say I come into a state of grace that I dance into and get out of. That one minute I'm in it and one minute I'm out of it. One day I've got the grace of God and then the next day I muck up or I do something dumb or stupid or bad. All of a sudden I've lost all the grace of God. I have not come to a state of grace. You and I, if we've said yes to Christ, have come to a life of grace. Amen. We've come to a life of following Christ, a life of His blessing. It's not a state of it. It's a life of it. So grace means I don't get what I deserve. My past loses its power to determine my future. Can I just say, because, you know, I think about this a lot and I've been following Jesus for decades and I'm still, still feel like I'm, I'm tiptoeing around the edges of grace. I'm still nibbling at just the edges of it. And this message I was praying one day and, and uh, a verse that I'm going to come to in a minute, just absolutely... Uh, jumped into my heart and I began to realise how so often we don't live lives of grace. We live lives that started with grace but now depend on us. We started with it and then we kind of leave it trailing us somewhere back there. We want grace to catch up. You know what I mean? But that's not what the Bible, grace is not something you can leave parked. Grace is something that covers you and you walk in it. Every day, whether you know it or not, grace is covering your life. Grace is more than even the power to determine my future. Get this, and, and some of you are going to think that can't be true, but it is. Watch this, because in both these stories, grace means He brings me to His level. I don't know if that excites you, but it sure does excite me. Grace means that He brings me to His level. I know that's not blasphemy. He said to Zacchaeus, come down. This is where I'm at. Come to my level. He says to the woman, He says, come on up to my level. Where others would stone you, 
where others would put you down. He says, I'm going to raise you up. Zacchaeus come down. He lifts up the woman. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 says this, But God who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses or sins or, or wrongdoing, made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved and raised us up. I'm sorry, I'm just going to have to stop a minute. But He raised us up together and made us sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Mm. Oh, yes, that's lovely. Thank you. Yes, yes, Lord. Amen. Come on, stop being so Aussie-fied here a minute and, and just kind of, hello, like, I'm going to read it again because some of you are just going, huh? The, what this verse says, or these three verses say is this, that when you gave your life to Christ, He never said, well, best of luck, hope you make it. Welcome to Struggle Town. Welcome to trying harder. I don't know about the rest of you here. I've sat under a lot of preaching in my life that was all about me trying harder, me praying more, me learning more, me knowing more, me, me more something, you know, more, more, more. And everything was, I've, I've lived some of my Christian life feeling a bit like a donkey that had a carrot in front. I'm almost there. Amen. You know, no, the rest of you are looking at me like, we have no idea what you're talking about, Pastor. We have ascended. Amen. Yes, no, I live in the grace of God. Well, good. You just tune out for the rest of this. But anybody that's been like me, tune in. Because the Scripture here says that He brings me to His level. Ephesians 2 says that He's raised us up and seated us together with Him in heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. What an amazing thing. Grace is a lot more than I don't get what I deserve. It's a lot more than just uh, focused on my past, but it goes with me into my future. It's a lot more even though than just He brings me to His level because grace deals with the root, not the, not the fruit. Do you notice when Jesus comes to Zacchaeus, He doesn't say, come on down, but before you come down, you've got to make me a promise. Promise me that you'll stop ripping people off. Promise me you'll stop being a bad boy. Promise me you'll get your act into gear or else I'm not going. Hello, I'm only coming to your house if you clean up your act. He doesn't say that. There isn't anything all that. Hello, are you all here? He didn't do any of that. He says, come on down, I'm coming to your house. And then he says, salvation walked in the door. And all around him was all the artefacts in the house that had been bought with stolen money. He sat at a marble dining table with beautiful velvet chairs that was paid for by some little Jewish person who got ripped off by Zacchaeus. He ate the food that came out of the pantry and the refrigerator that hadn't been invented yet. And just seeing if you're there. And sat down and ate that food. And Jesus never says one word. He never says anything about it. Hello, when you've got a past, so have I. And Jesus never says, I'll come to your house. I'll walk with you so long as you promise me. He just says, I'm, I've seen God work and walk with all kinds of brokenness and all kinds of mess. Grace deals with the root, not the fruit. Zacchaeus 
touched by the grace of God goes, I'm going to change. This is what I'm going to do. It's the greatest form of transformation ever is the transformation that occurs when I go, I know who Jesus is. Here's my last one. Is the grace doesn't excuse my weakness. It brings his strength. Zacchaeus doesn't offer excuses, nor is he given any budgies. Well, I know after all, we've all got to make a living. Oh, well, everyone else is doing it. None of that stuff. Grace doesn't come and go, look, it's, some Christians use it like this, you know, kind of like, well, you know, I'm under the grace of God. Who cares? But that's not the grace of God. That's just slack. The grace of God is when I allow something divine to come into my life and begin to bring change inside of my heart. I'm going to finish with one verse. So team, please come. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. Ah, oh, you're going to love this verse. You're going to want to mark it, write it on your screen. Zechariah 4, verse 6 says, So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain, that big obstacle? Come on, that big thing that you're facing, that job situation, that emotional thing, that family problem, whatever. See that big mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you're going to become a plane. A plane. And then watch this, he says how, and you'll bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. You know, that, that's the verse that hit me one day when I was in prayer and I spent the next, I don't know, half an hour or so shouting grace over every area of my life. Shouting grace over my weaknesses. Shouting grace over this church. Shouting grace over our leaders. Shouting grace over our future. Shouting grace over every need. Shouting grace over my family. Because I understand that my mountains become a plain, not because I get a shovel and start digging, but because the grace of God starts getting active and moving in my life and my world. Grace. But you got to turn the volume way up to 11. You got to get it past the normal. Don't live your Christian life going, well, the grace of God, we put it in the, in the cupboard for the day when something goes wrong and then we go and open it up, bring out grace. Oh yeah, mucked up again. Wonder where the grace, I'll go get the grace of God. We act like that, don't we? Sometimes we do. God says, come on, don't be like that. Live with a shout of grace. Can you hear it? What's shouting the loudest to you now? What's at 10? What's 10? Is it your job? It's shouting at you at 10. Is it your business? It's shouting to you at 10. Is it your health? It's at 10. How about you just kind of go up to that sucker and turn it up to 11 for grace and let the sound of God's grace drown out the sound of everything else that's in your life. Shout grace to your obstacles. Grace for all the opportunities and the needs in the past and the future. In Jesus' name. Well, we love God. We love His Word. And I pray that'll help you and just stir something inside of you to go to wherever you are. Listen, you don't have to be some super spiritual giant. You don't have to be kind of like a pastor. You know, foul will not be heard by God any more after today than He was yesterday. Because God's highest thing is not pastor, it's son or daughter. Amen. And so God will answer because you're His, not because 
you are somebody in somebody else's eyes. How do you become a son or a daughter of the living God? Well, you just got to say yes to Jesus. I said it earlier, Jesus, the Saviour, Jesus, the one who wants to come to your life. But you say yes to Him. And people here do this all the time and online every single week, every service. People say yes. It's so easy. Go to 0488-826-392. If you're in Australia, you can use that number. And then every morning uh, after you do it, we'll send you a Scripture and uh, a prayer that fits on one screen of your smartphone. And you get that every day for 30 days. And let me say again, we'll never spam you. We'll never drown you with other things. Uh, We'll send you that to help you. If you're outside of Australia or you'd prefer to get it by email every day, it comes from us, from our church. You go to yes.metrochurch.org.au and we'll send you that to help you on the way with Christ. Amen. Let me pray. Father, thank You for today. It's been a great day and we love, Lord, what You are doing and we love what You are preparing all of us for. I pray, God, that every one of us will go out of here going, God, I'm going to lay aside the measuring up idea and just acknowledge that I'm your child. And because I'm your child, I walk and live in the grace of God. I get the unexpected look. Thank you for helping us, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Pray, God, for every person who's going to say yes. That yes text or that yes website. And they're going to begin a journey of following you. Help them, Lord, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.